Good morning, everyone. Welcome to KafaruCast. I have a, a guy on board with us that I have uh, actually watched for a couple decades, one of the very few people that I uh, you know, seriously respect and admire what he's done in the industry, and that's Bob Fromm from Performance Bowhunting in uh, San Diego, California. Is that correct? You're in San Diego, right? Yeah, yeah. Performance Bowhunting was my DVD series, so that's probably what you might remember, uh, but it's actually my, my retail business is Performance Archery. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. So, and I yeah, definitely, well, and I do remember the performance bow hunting. Your, your cameraman was a friend of mine and he gave me all your DVDs and I'd watch them over and over and over. So, uh, admittedly, um, I, I don't know that I was a stalker, but it was pretty cool what you were doing, uh, when I was watching though. So yeah, Jerry, Jerry Morrison, we had some good times and what I love about Jerry is that he could be bought, you know, as far as blackmail and actually he was really good about editing and, making stuff look good. Uh, but, you know, we, you know, it was pretty cool. I mean, in those days, you know, I've always loved, you know, to hunt and to try to make it do some of the, you know, my dream hunts. It was pretty hard to justify taking income out of my business that, uh, you know, being a retail archery guy for, you know, almost 40 years now, you know, I've had a pretty, you know, good life, but not, you know, it's not, not to justify going on sheep hunts and stuff like that. So by working with, with outfitters, um, sending them, you know, clients to the best guys, but my guys are having really good hunts and they're maybe giving me a little commission and then, um, you know, doing some promoting either with, you know, video, TV stuff, writing. Um, I've been able to, uh, lucky enough to earn some sponsor, um, you know, revenue and be able to put that towards hunts and go in some pretty incredible places. And Jerry helped me do that. And we had a good time besides being, it's so hard as it is with a bow, especially when you're, on an adventure hunt where it's, you know, something like sheep or, or whatever it is, brown bears, and, and it's hard enough to get close by yourself, you know, a lot of times, you know, I don't really want a guide holding my hand at all, I just want them to pretty much put me in an area where, where we're, we're going to be into, you know, good quality animals, and then having somebody next to you that, you know, with a camera behind you trying to get it on, on film, uh, makes it that much harder, and so the guy has to be a really good hunter. And then you got to be able to get along with somebody, you know, and for sometimes two weeks at a time and different conditions and traveling. And that's how you can really tell, you know, somebody if, you know, when you're under those kind of stresses, whether they're a good person and what their character is and whether you get along and you can laugh and get through the tough times. So Jerry and I had a lot of good times together. I'm glad you enjoyed some of the video stuff and kind of a nice compliment of man of your stature looked up to some of the stuff we did. Oh yeah, and then I'd get to hear about um he came back the one time and uh try not to drop too many F bombs, but he said, Oh, I, I effed up and I'm like, What happened? He goes, I was filming a stump when uh Bob shot his antelope and I was like, What? <laughs> and he was like the camera was, was <laughs> He felt horrible. He's like <laughs> What what happened? Yeah, one of the only times that he actually missed up the video kill shot. Uh, we, were, we were hunting. I, I drew a antelope tag in uh, northern Arizona, and we were hunting, you know, national forest. And there was a, a young guy there, Chad Woodruff. Actually, is a really good guy now for the strip and everything else up there now. But he, uh, he, I guess he watched my videos, and and uh, I, I called up the shop up there and, and flag and said, hey, you know any young guys or anybody up there that 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 knows the area a little bit? I didn't really want to hire a guide for antelope, and he's like, yeah, let me let me check around. So they got me. Connected me with him, and he had a tag at the same time, so he'd done a little scouting, and there's this big open, you know, like, cut area, and the antelope, so we went out and scouted a little bit before the season, and he'd been looking it over, and, and there was a couple big bucks, and 
One of them in particular kind of had a nice little harem of does. It was in September. They were starting to rut. And then there was this one other one with his horns pushed forward, and he was pretty big too. And he was harassing this other really nice nice buck. And But they would walk. Antelope tend to be a little bit predictable, you know, then more than, you know, patternable, whatever you want to call it, if they don't get messed with too much, then a lot of other stuff. Uh, but the fact they're out in the open makes it tough, and there was water, and it wasn't easy to sit on water, and I really didn't want to. And um, So there was a little dip in this hill in the topography, and so we got up. We were able to kind of stay low out in the open, get up to this one area where there was some, basically a couple of junipers downed and a little bit of cover, and the middle of this thing, if these antelope were walking by, you know, late morning. And, yeah, so you know, we got into it, and the first day we kind of spooked one trying to get up with the camera, and it was coming to us. And so the next day we did the same thing, and they came, they were coming to us, and he was trying to stay low as long as he could. And this one buck was chasing the other one off, and I, I ranged the, the buck that was getting chased off at, like, 55, and then the other buck was behind him, and I grunted a little bit to stop him with my voice, just, you know, like a buck grunt or something. Threw back, and I told Jerry to get ready, and he got up, he got up and he stumbled a little bit because he's, you know, he's a little bit older than us. Well, I'm older than you, but he's 17 years older than me. And as he was getting up to try to get the shot, um, he hit the, instead of hitting record, he turned it off. And so I made this timing shot where the buck turned, quartered. I let go, shooting fingers back then, and hit him right in the crease, you know, right through the heart, out the front shoulder. He's like, you know, he said, the <laughs> oh, damn, I turned it off. I said, well, turn it back on. So he turns it back on, and then the thing falls over like 40 yards later. So the video is basically the buck running in, stopping, no video, and then turns it on, and the thing flops over. So, yeah, he's a little disappointed. And that was the only time out of quite a few hunts that he actually messed up on the kill shot, and then all the rest of them were on me. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> well, you, you've you've killed the the North the North American twenty nine, and I, I guess what's amazing to me is you are not as uh, and don't don't take this the wrong way as well known as you should be to maybe some of the newcomers. Like back in the day, you're definitely well known, um, but some of the people now don't know you as well as they should. But you killed the the twenty nine, and you were shooting fingers right handed, and now you shoot a left handed with a release. Is that correct? You shoot left-handed now? With that's the right. Yeah, that's right. And there's a couple layers to all that, what you just spit out there. But, yeah, I mean, I've never been a super technical, you know, guy with all the Internet, this, that, and the other thing. You know, I've learned to be good with the computer, you know, for my business, getting, you know, our point-of-sale program and to get to that next level and be able to really, you know, make my business, you know, run smoothly. I wish I would have been as smart as, as Cameron, you know, uh, with all the, the digital, you know, social media stuff. You know, I just thought, well, that's just another way of, you know, maybe, you know, patting yourself on the back or, you know, or, you know, kind of letting, it was just one more thing for me to, I've got emails, I've got phone calls, I've got, there's you know, all kinds of stuff going on. But I thought it was just one more thing to kind of clutter up my day. But in, in reality, it was an amazing way to really promote well, just let people get the word out of what you're doing. And if the people are interested, they can follow you. If they don't, they don't have to. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's really changed, you know, uh, the way that, that, you know, you can communicate in a, in a real time situation. Uh, it's good for pretty much everybody. It saves me a lot of time when I come back from a hunt now. If I post a picture, a short story, this and that, or when I'm on a trip and, and, uh, you know, my, my customers actually know what happens. I don't have to show them a picture and talk to them for 20 minutes about what happened, you know, can I, 
keeps it flowing. But yeah, social media thing is, you know, it's pretty, uh, pretty amazing in a lot of ways if you use it for the right reasons, you know, and some people get carried away with, you know, posting stuff that's maybe not very interesting, but you know, and some of it is pretty cool and some of it's fake, whatever, you know, everybody's got their own style. Oh no, I say, yeah, you're, you're definitely, uh, right on all of those accounts. I would, I would say, um, the, the coolest thing on my end is where I would have to wait for your DVD to come out. I can just look at it now with a couple of flicks of a button, which is like you said, that's super cool. But how long ago did yeah. you kill the 29? When did you finish that up? Well, the 20, it was 28. Um, for, and then they added the Thule Elf, you know, I don't know how many years ago, but I finished the 28, which I need the last one was, was a desert sheep I did in 2007 down in Baja. And, you know, I didn't really thought it was a goal that was really obtainable for me, but, um, because of some of the expense of like say a polar bear and, and desert sheep hunts and you can draw a desert sheep, but it's, it's almost impossible to draw. In fact, I've got 30 points in Arizona right now for desert sheep and maximum points in California and. 20 in Nevada and all this other stuff. So I never really, I still haven't drawn a desert sheet, but hopefully I will before well, I can still walk. But um, yeah, the 28 I did uh, down in Baja, um, got a got a good deal on a, on a sheep tag, as good as I guess it gets for a sheep tag. It's still a lot of money and pretty much pulled up all my little sponsors that I have, some really good companies over the years. Relationships have made it so that I can, you know, put a few dollars towards some quality hunts and, yeah, I killed a desert sheep in 2007. They added the Thule, made it 29, and I and I have maximum points in California. So I thought, well, maybe I'll draw a Thule tag. You know, the odds aren't terrible in some of these areas. But after trying for, you know, forever to get a Thule tag, I finally found a a guy up north that had a pretty much a half price, you know, tag on on a really good ranch that had, you know, pretty good quality bulls and it was a really good experience and it was a pretty big place. Ended up shooting a nice Thule in 2000, God, what was it? I don't know, it's about four years ago. So whatever that is, 2016. Gotcha. Not to, to do the standard questions, but just out of curiosity, what, uh, out, out of all of those, what were some of the more favorite hunts you had? Well, by far, probably the one that, that means the most to me. Is the is the stone sheep that I killed in the Yukon in 1991? I I really like the high alpine you know wilderness backpack type hunts, which sounds like you're a little fond of too, because you probably look crazy too. Uh, that's kind of the but the it's kind of what I'm wired. I guess you know you take what what you're given you know genetically and whatever else and drives you. And I was always pretty good at climbing hills and you know kind of seeing what's on the other side and, and being, you know, we hunted the islands and stuff a lot here for goats and sheep, cattle in Santa Cruz, but the mountain hunts are kind of what I was probably best at. And my weakest point would probably be my ability to, you know, be in a stalking situation where you're still hunting through a forest where you're not sure where the animal is and you're trying to focus and stay quiet and see them before they see you. So I'm not that good. I guess, you know, they, they used to, you know, if you didn't have good focus or attention, you just, you know, you, when I was young, it used to be you're just kind of stupid, but now they got ADD and elemental key and medication for all that stuff and an excuse, but, um, it, I just was wired better for, for, for mountain hunting and, uh, you know, if I knew something was there, I could be really disciplined and persistent about getting an opportunity and getting close and then waiting for a shot to happen. And I never was like probably the best shot you know, in the world, but I was always pretty good at focusing, even under pressure, even though I was excited and 
messed up and whatever and able to put the arrow in a good kill spot on most you know most animals I shot at so I've had to say that of my fondest memories and I hunted 14 day hunt in the Yukon for, for stone sheep and ended up killing them on the 20th day coming back to camp after I'm, you know burned through one guide and another guide and uh, basically we're done we had uh, flew into a remote area took horses for you know a day Bike camp, hobbled the horses, then went backpacking out, you know, in different directions. Not very many sheep up there, but some good ones. And uh, one day we were coming back. We had pretty, pretty much the end of the hunt and had another day ride to get back in to the base camp. Um, and at the bottom of this, you know, this creek, I just looked up and this, you know, curl and a quarter stone sheep just came into my, you know, my binocular view. I was like, holy heck, this is meant to be, you know, and told the guy to, you know, not to move, and he's like, now nah, you're messing with me, you know, you know how you get after you've been with somebody in a backpack tent for that long, and you thought I was jacking with him, I'm like, dude, don't move, and there's really, there's a big ram right above us, so, took off, uh, pack, got up, took my, took my boots off, he was giving me hand signals, and he was bedded, 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 he was in this little, kind of, got out of the, out of sight in this little, little gully, so I really, I knew he, I could see him if he came out, but he didn't, so I was just kind of stalking that little gully, and all of a sudden the guide started jumping up and down, and I was in my socks and it was quiet and a mossy kind of little, little approach and sheep must have got a little whiff or something. Those mountain currents, you know, they are all squirrely all the time. And yeah, he ran up on top of this rock and was looking down at me. I'm like, oh my God, here we go again. You know, I'd already had a couple opportunities in that 20 days that didn't pan out and, you know, spooked him and whatever. And so I shot him. Nope, this is 91, no range finders, you know, electron, you know, laser range finders, which are pretty amazing now, but. Um, shooting 84 pound Hoyt wheel bow with 2514s. Those were pretty sexy new arrows instead of a 2317. So instead of like <laughs> 9,000 grains, they were only 8,000 grains, you know, and shot, uh, put a 70 on them, let her rip, shot like, I don't know, it's dropping right in there, shot probably, I don't know, you know how you think it's a couple inches, but whatever it is, it shot under them. Started dancing around in the cliffs and I had an 80 yard pin and I, put the 80 pin on him and he was trying to get out of sight and he was just going slow because it was really steep you know he's trying to get out of there as quick as he could but wasn't able to haul out too bad put my 80 pin three feet over him led him and then just kind of let a nice smooth finger release and connected right through the heart hit the broke the shoulder on the offside he took three jumps went upside down so that's my greatest you know accomplishment as far as hunt persistence animal it means the most to me and it was a beautiful, you know, 38 and a half inch long, you know, curl and a quarter with his lamb tips, you know, stone sheets, a pretty incredible animal experience. It means a lot because it was so tough to get, um, you know, so that's probably my number one. The one that probably people are most impressed with from an animal standpoint or maybe a little, you know, danger. Uh, I killed a really big um, brown bear on Kodiak Island. In fact, Jerry filmed that and we had a good footage on that that was the world um, record right yeah it was world record for quite a while and 29 13 16 is pretty big head on it so yeah um but yeah we got we sold a lot of dvds with that in fact you know like now you're talking about dvds and stuff and we've got a youtube channel we're re-editing a bunch of this stuff for youtube so those are, are are pretty you know starting to get a little traction on that so people can watch them for free but back in the day it was like eh, I'm not going to give it to people for free on YouTube when I can sell them for ten bucks at Sportsman's Warehouse in Cabela's you know so 
but uh but that big brown bear this like 10 and a half foot bear big head on it and shot him at 18 yards and the way he was he was bedded we kind of bumped and we saw him across the canyon like across we glassed him from across the, the bay we were you know glassing in areas and stuff and actually the guide tom kierstein was a pretty amazing guide um, we were cruising out and he he saw it was in may so there was still some snow and he saw tracks above the alder line uh, and they're pretty far apart so he knew it was a big bear in this one area so we went across the other way and we we're glassing around and we came back and and we got to a point later on in the afternoon where we could glass where he had seen these tracks knowing that they were fairly fresh because he had a hunter in there before with a rifle for two weeks that didn't kill a bear. So just starting to turn on with the late spring and all that stuff. But um, spot this big bear. He's coming down to the, to the beach. So we cruise around, you know, cross the bay, get downwind, get out of the skiff, Jerry and I and, and Tom, and start, you know, heading in in direction where we last saw the bear. And, we basically bumped him a little bit. They never got a good look at us at a couple hundred yards, and he just kind of we just settled down and actually blew a little deer call to kind of calm him down a little bit. And so he didn't think we were maybe people, which they don't see very often anyway. And he bedded down in this little kind of grassy area, and the wind was wrong to come around from the down from the south side. So I kind of had to go in from the north side, which was where we were, and the bear would pick up his head about every. I don't know, a minute or two, and they put it back down. And it was about 9 o'clock at night. It was getting dark at 10. And so we got about 100 yards where this, where the bear kind of, you know, calmed down and was still but, you know, paying attention a little bit to his back trail. Um, so I just sat there for like 15 minutes and just let him, you know, relax. And the guide's like, you know, you want me to go with you? And I'm like, man, not really. I do, but I don't because I'm going to have to crawl and I really don't want you to get in there. And he's kind of aware, so I want you to stay here. And so Jerry and and uh, Tom stayed at about 100 yards, and I crawled up to about 40, which is where I feel pretty pretty consistently accurate in a good kill area. You know, I'm not going to take a long shot at a, at a brown bear, but he, uh, he wasn't giving me a good, good angle, and he was laying in like a little grassy kind of depression. So... I had to to get the right angle. I had to get in like a lot closer than I wanted to be, and because there was alders and brush, I ended up being like 18 yards from him to get it where I had a decent angle. And the fact that he was going to run back up the hill towards where I was to get the right angle instead of you know out the other way and where he was facing towards the ocean, he's not going to run in the ocean. He's not a caribou or a moose. Uh, so yeah, it was a little sketchy at best and. I remember Tom telling me that, hey, these things sometimes, you know, they'll walk up a hill and there'll be some other bears and smaller ones and they'll just kind of act like they're not, you know, they're not paying attention to them and they'll just pounce on them, you know, and kill them. <laughs> You've seen that happen with sows and cubs and stuff. I'm like, I wonder if this thing knows I'm getting closer and he's just going to let me get in tight. So I had to get that out of my mind and just say, okay, this is the biggest 240-plus-inch non-typical mule deer that I've ever seen and I'm only going to get one chance on it and I'm just going to, take my time and stock in on it and be as careful as possible, not make any noise and not freak myself out with the danger factor. And yeah, I got to a good spot. And then Jerry's like, man, if that bear gets on Bobby right now, you're, you're not going to really be able to shoot him because you're lined up with him. Why don't you move over to the right a little bit? So when Tom moved over to the right, the bear caught the movement and kind of did like a little push up out of the depression and he gave me a, a clear, you know, a clear line to his vitals. And I just remember the 20 pin kind of coming up, you know, like right under his armpit. And as soon as it got to like that little triangle where the hair's kind of worn off on a big bear and the 20 pin hit there, my finger just let go automatically and zipped him. And I 
right through the top of the heart, both lungs. But, you know, it was only 18 yards away. He ran right towards me, but he wasn't, like, looking at me like he was going to, you know, attack me. So I just froze. Didn't want to, you know, create any, any movement or make any little girl screams, which I probably <laughs> wanted to, but I didn't. Yeah, I just uh, vapor locked on it, you know, instead of making a funny sound. But, uh, yeah, he just went by me. And then once he went by me, you know, I, he went into the alders and I saw him kind of go up this little mole and he looked like he was going to run back to the beach. You know, sometimes they do crazy stuff when they get shot and I thought, God, I don't want to mess with that. But he, he, I started backing up and he just rolled over and fell over dead. He, he was, I think, you know, because of the being on video, it was like, eight seconds between when I shot him and did a little hoot and holler and whatever. Pretty cool, you know, watching. So that one people are, you know, pretty amazed by, but that was, you know, actually first time, I think it was the first full day we hunted, you know, so it wasn't, didn't have as much into it from that, but I did go on a few other moose hunts, you know, that are caribou hunts that were, you know, trophy fee on a brown bear that weren't really good brown bear hunts and didn't kill one, so. That was my first really good brown bear hunt. I had to step up to the plate and got it done right. How uh, did you know how big it was? When uh, I mean, did you have a pretty good idea of uh, it would be well, maybe you, close to a world record? Nah, no. But you know what? You know when you, you when you look at a bear, like we had looked at a nine and a half foot bear earlier that day, and we were st- stalking it. It was coming down the hill, and all of a sudden it started tumbling, and all of a sudden we were just boom, you know, and it stumbled again and got up, boom, you know, like this, it would tumble, and you could hear the shot coming back. So. We were out in the middle of nowhere, hiked into this lake, and somebody had shot this nine-and-a-half-foot bear you know, that, that we were actually had intentions of, you know, of hunting and never got the opportunity, and it actually turned out good because I ended up on this other bear. But, you know, sometimes if you're trying to talk yourself into, oh, is that a big deer, a big elk, or a big bear? It's usually not, you know. Yeah, but if it's one where you don't need to say anything, it was just so obvious that the way it carried itself and the way it looked, that it was, you know, it was definitely... You know, an elite alpha male, and we never even said, "Yeah, oh, that's a shooter or not." It was just like understood when you saw, saw that thing. It was just, you know, and the way the a grizzly bear carries himself is just different than any other animal. I'd say the only, uh, I'd say the two animals that that I've had experiences with in in the wild that made me feel uh, maybe a little bit like prey were obviously a big a big grizzly bear like that. Their, their command presence is just it's hard to explain, but I think, you know, like being knowing that, that, that they could cause you damage and you're basically in the food chain with them. And the other one, uh, went down to South Africa off of, uh, Cape Town and, and my wife, we went down there and did a safari one, one year and she wanted to go do it in shark caves, cages. And, you know, we went off of, uh, Cape Town, got in the little boat and a little cage and they drug a, dead tuna over the top of us by seal island and a bunch of those things are down there you know i guess the seals are kind of mating or spawning or whatever the heck they do and um and there was a bunch of great whites out there i mean a lot of great whites and they they, they we had about a 16 foot great white come right by our, our cage when we were in the water at about four feet and that's the you know, other animal that makes you feel like uh, <laughs> very little pretty insig- insignificant <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so but, uh, yeah, that brown bear was, it was a no-brainer, and after we shot it, we're like, holy cow, and the thing was upside down in this little little dip, so we we had to, we, the three of us couldn't even move it really out of this thing, so we had to gut it out and uh, get it out and, and get it to where we could, you know, get some decent picture video, you know, skinned it, and we actually took the meat and donated it to an Indian village around the corner, and I don't know what, what they did with it exactly that they were 
maybe you know, going to utilize it for you know feeding their dogs instead of killing some black-tailed deer or something. But yeah, um, it was pretty amazing experience. Um, it was short, uh, pretty impressive, I guess, animal and the way I took it. So I'm proud of it. But the sheep hunting is a little bit more of a kind of like what I really kind of miss. I haven't done a good sheep hunt in a long time. They've gotten so dang expensive. But I think one of my I have people ask me like, what what hunts are you going to do and you know, what are you, you know, doing coming up or what would you like to do? And, you know, I've, I've hunted, you know, all 29 have been pretty fortunate, um, and, um, to be able to do all that. But I think like the NWT, you know, maybe a, a doll sheep hunt, you know, with maybe a mountain caribou, you're in that same kind of beautiful, you know, country and stuff like that. Just it's gotten so, so expensive. It's crazy and it's hard to justify maybe. And I, I, I love doing, uh, love doing, you know, elk and mule deer. You know, kind of what I'm wired for in the West too. But yeah, I know you've hunted up there in the NWT with with uh, the Lancasters, and they have a really good operation. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, they they have an extremely good operation. It's I think it's hard for some people that have never been up there one to you know realize how vast the area is. It's just it's hard to explain. And then two, the amount of animals that are up there and the opportunity, and that you're not really hunting a hunter that happens in in the lower 48 where you really worry about uh, pressure from hunters coming in. There is no, you know, pressure, which is, is super cool. So I was up there for, I think two and a half months straight, um, just helping out. And I was just amazed at the amount of animals and it's just, it's hard to describe. You'll never see anything like it again. It's amazing when you're up there. Um, it is getting expensive though. I don't know. I think they're up to 28,000 for a, a doll hunt. And I think, uh, moose is 24 and caribou's 14 or 16, something like that. But logistically it's once you're up there, you understand it is expensive to get everyone up there and the fuel and food and everything else. Um, the opportunity is amazing as well. So, yeah, I mean, at this point I'm like to get something where it's, you're, and as you get older, you get crankier about, you know, other competition and, you know, I've hunted like you have a, a lot of national forest over the counter, you know, with tags like like we all, you know, and I still I put in for a lot of permits, which are almost impossible to draw. But what uh, what gets me to make the experience good is not having other people, you know, mess up your your opportunities and knowing that the animals you're, you're confident that they haven't changed their patterns due to pressure or somebody camping in the wrong spot or you know or, or charging in front of you to get to an animal that they know you're maybe you know getting ready to stalk. I mean, that, that stuff I can't deal with as much. You know, I deal with it. You know, surfing, pretty competitive. You know, here, uh, you know, got a lot of young guys in the water that paddle really well and the waves are good and only a handful of places that are good. So if you want to get waves, you know, you got to, you got to be, be aggressive and, and, uh, you know, be competitive there. And then on the freeways here, you know, you got to be careful about getting run over by everybody. And so when I get out in a hunting situation, I don't really want to compete against other people and just enjoy it. And, one of the few places left, I think, where you have a really amazing uh, opportunity and unspoiled wilderness is the NWT. And, that, and the amount of animals that are up there compared to, like, say, B.C. or the Yukon, Yukon's amazing, too, and B.C. is in its own right. But it seems like the wolves have had, you know, a huge impact on, on the populations of game. And it's not, and, and the winters are, are harsh in a lot of those areas, but, but the, the full-time predation by wolves is really devastating on on pretty much all hooved animals, you know, and, and they're young. So I think it seems like the NWT is, obviously they have wolves, but I don't think it's 
must I don't know if they control them better or they just I don't know what it is about that. It seems like they don't they're not as out of control up there as they are like in BC or the Yukon. Yeah, and I think part of it's probably of course I'm only guessing I'm not a biologist, but it is so vast and there's less human encroachment that probably has something to do with it. But but who knows, there is wolves up there. We you know, we we shot a couple while we yeah. were there and definitely saw some, but it doesn't seem to be as big of an issue. There's plenty of animals running around, even with a lot of grizzlies in that area too. Uh mountain grizzlies are all over the place. So But what what um one of the things you were joking with me about to just to change gears a little bit you know, owning a, a pro shop, you know, we, we talk all the time about different arrow setups and, you know, cutting, cutting off of each end. If you want to take, make a crooked arrow even straighter. And those are things obviously pro shops have gotten a hold of me about like, Hey, these people are expecting this. And obviously if you, if you want a $200 a dozen set of arrows, you're going to have to purchase some. You can't make a $89 a dozen set of arrows into that unless you put your own hard work and elbow grease into it. But running a pro shop, what would you say? You know, maybe some of the first downfalls people run into, like getting a bow that doesn't fit, things like that. I mean, when you try to get a guy in, what do you generally try to set him up with um, as far as arrow weight and broadheads? And, like, what's your general setup that you push? Yeah, well, just to get started on that a little bit, like, I'm like, you know, some of the guys are coming in, my, you know, customers and my employees are like, Oh, this Aaron Snyder, man, he said this and Aaron Snyder that. And I'm like, who is this friggin' guy that's making my life so difficult with 300 grains of arrow weight up front and all this other stuff, this FOC madness. And I'm like, so I looked into you a little bit more and then I'm like, oh, I see what this Aaron Snyder's about. I mean, I think I love him too, but, um, yeah, the, <laughs> the heavy weight, yeah, the heavy weight, uh, you know, up front, I mean, well, that's a pretty broad spectrum. Let's, let's start out with a bow. So we, we obviously, we have a, I've been able to, you know, been in the business for quite a while and I put a lot of, I don't know, I just don't like average. So I've always tried to improve my business and add inventory. I hate when somebody comes in and I don't have something that, or something in that category that that's really good. You know, another option is hard to have every single thing, you know, but, um, I'm going to have bows in every price point and, the best of everything uh, that there is available at, at the best prices because I buy volume and everything else. So we, we're going to, if somebody comes in and I've got really good employees too, if they don't get me or you know, whatever, I've got guys that I've trained that are, that are awesome. But um, we give them lots of options and different price points and ask them questions. And then, you know, we don't just sell one thing to any one person. We have our favorites, of course, you know, uh, you know, depending on what, you know, we know is proven to be, really good and a lot of different situations and feedback that we get from a lot of them, you know, different customers. So one of the, the cool things for me is, you know, a lot of guys have their own equipment that they get hung up on. And, but the fact that we get good results with multiple different setups, we can give a couple people, you know, people a couple really good comparable, you know, bows or to, to start out with in their price range and then go from there. And we know what, what's going to be proven to be the best. And if there's somebody's tall, like say you got a guy that's six, four, we're not going to sell him, put a 28 inch axle to axle bow on their hand. You know, we're going to get something that's, that's going to accommodate, you know, a good string angle and everything else. And we're not going to try to sell somebody a carbon point if they, you know, if they're in the military and they got a $500 budget, you know, you don't make them feel bad and tell them they got to go save some more money and get a better job. You know, you, you get them a good bow that fits them right. But, we, we figure out their draw length. Um, number one, really important to have draw length right. You, you know, it all sets up around the draw length on a bow, regardless of the price point. Uh, you always make the weight comfortable so that they can, you know, it can draw and shoot it correctly. 
all my bows actually are set up. We have arrow rest on all our bows. They're all paper tuned or really close. Um, we have sights on them, peep sights that are, you know, in the, in the uh, vicinity of where they should be. You know, you know, we know kind of we have formulas that that work at different, you know, draw lengths and different axle to axle bows, where they're going to be pretty much in in the ballpark. And a lot of times we have them sighted in at 10 yards, which is where we start pretty much everybody. So we're going to get people something that that fits them correctly. They can actually draw back, anchor correctly. We we give them some basic instruction, put a release in their hand. Once we get the bow fit to them and a draw weight, they can comfortably, um, you know pull back and shoot, you know, maybe 20 arrows out of, we take them to the range, start out at 10 and, and we get them firing in a safe manner, you know, make sure they're not going to hit their arm, the shoulders, right, the grips, right, to get their anchor, keep the finger around from the, you know, the, the trigger. We don't let them sky draw all these things. And then we get them to shoot a couple bows and because they are sighted in pretty close, they fit them, they have a sight on them, they're tuned. They actually can see, get a grouping and most people, they light up once they, they, they know that they can do the sport and hit the bullseye consistently and maybe tell the difference between a couple different bows and not just, you know, the experience that most people have, maybe pulling back their buddy's bow that's been shooting for two years and it's 70 pounds and, and the guy's 30 inch draw and, and they're five foot eight and they're 27 inch draw and they should be starting out at 55 pounds. And so, you know, they get started wrong or they, they, their buddy made them feel like a wimp because they couldn't pull back their bow that they've been worked up to. So, there's a lot going on to it, but um, yeah, we match the bow to the person. Uh, then we then we obviously match the arrow to the bow, and uh, the instruction is probably the most important thing because if people don't get started right, you know, or at least you know get the opportunity to to get to a point where they they get good instruction with a proper release. They're they're not going to stick with the sport, you know. I mean, I, and we start a lot of people out with wrist strap releases, index finger because it's the most it's the easiest way for people to draw a bow and shoot it safely and get a good result. Um, and you can shoot an index finger release correctly, you know, with back tension if you shorten it up and hook your finger. The problem with most index finger, you know, shooters is that if that finger, you know, index finger has been a trigger finger your whole life, especially if you shot shotguns or most firearms, and most people are going to have trouble not grabbing it and punching it. And that's where in lies most of the problem. Uh, with a lot of people, so we make make that available to them later. We don't really talk about target panic because we don't want people to end up with that. Think that they got it, or but you can see some people are just more prone to it if they're more of a hyper A personality, um, which I I am, and one of the reasons I'm shooting left-handed. But um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to it as far as what I've found for for uh, you know for a killing arrow. I think you know. Super important, I think, shot placement. I think most people, if you talk to anybody that's, that's done a lot of hunting, placement is probably your number one um, importance. And a real fast light arrow is not necessarily going to give you the best placement, um, always, because it might be a little more sensitive. So I do like, you know, something that's, you know, got a moderate weight to it. And, and definitely, it seems like, just take the average guy. I mean, there's all kinds of variables. So I've got, you know, uh, some serious women bow hunters that are shooting, you know, 45 pounds and they're 27 inches and that's all, and that's all they're going to get out of it, their energy wise. So we obviously are not going to shoot a 500 grain arrow, you know, with 150 grains of weight up front. It's just not going to work. So I do like small diameter arrows. Like I use a victory VAP. There's a lot of good small diameter arrows now that you can, you can get, you know, good penetration with a 166 ID. 
uh, with 50 grains of insert up front and then the 100 grain point, you got 150 grains up front. Seems to work good for me and, and quite a few guys that are shooting compound bows. Um, and you can get, um, I like my bows to shoot around, you know, 280, 285 feet per second. I'm not, you know, real hot, but I'm, that's what, say, 29 inch draw and, you know, 70, 72 pounds with a forgiving bow. I shoot a 34 inch axle to axle, you know, Hoyt RX4 Ultra carbon bow. And that's just what works really good for me. And, uh, I like a forgiving bow that's going to be accurate when I'm excited and if I, you know, less than perfect form, which pretty much, you know, most people are, especially under pressure. Work really hard to shoot really as well as I can, but I'm, I'm not a. <laughs> One of the things I will say on the heavy point weight, I am not a fan of extreme FOC. I think people take what they want to sometimes out of what we talk about. I've always been a 150 to 175 grain up front uh, guy on a compound. So somewhere in that 50 grain brass insert and somewhere in the 125 range and really anything over 450 grains with the way technology is with a compound is going to do pretty dang good. I, I always shoot 5 to 550, close to 600, but I also shoot 80 to 90 pounds. And I've got a 29-inch draw, and people have to understand there's a happy medium for everything. You don't want to come in with a 27-inch draw, lobbing logs with a 550-grain arrow. Um, you kind of have to find, or at least that's my opinion, kind of have to find that happy medium of a decent speed and a decent momentum. And uh, sometimes people, just the way they're built, you can't have all those. Um, if you got short draw, if you can't draw a lot of weight, you know, most guys – 28 to 29 inch draw and 70 pounds is pretty, pretty average. I mean, that's about what you're, you're looking at and the bows can only shoot so fast. So, um, so but you know, I think what it comes down to, I mean, is having, we, we have parameters that we know for each person. We don't like to ask me what I'm shooting for weight or whatever. I don't necessarily, I tell them, you know, like if I'm shooting 75 pounds or whatever, it's just like, Hey, it's more about being accurate and what you can shoot accurately. And if you just started out, and, you know, if you're not going to be shooting 75 pounds, you know, 55 is going to be fine. It's more important what you, you know, where you put the arrow. And then getting an arrow that, that's going to work right at that draw weight and, and uh, you know, we're not going to shoot a, a two-inch expandable at, at 55 pounds into an elk. You know, we're not going to let a guy, you know, we're going to recommend that he doesn't do that. We're going to have a better, you know, arrow setup than that. But what I find is, like like you're saying, I, th- I like that 440, 450 grains, you know, seems to be what works best for me. I have a 300 spine arrow, and I've tried, you know, heavier point weights. I like the idea of having a 125 grain point on my arrow, um, but I found at 60 yards, it doesn't group as good as my 100 does with a 50 grain insert. So, like, that 150 grain is what seems to work best on my 300 spine arrows, you know, um, and when I've gone heavier, you know, I've tested it because I like the idea of having a stronger broadhead. When you add 25 grains to a to a hundred grain broadhead, you can make that thing so much stronger. You know, they're 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 really trying to you know to get down to hundred grains and making concessions when these guys are engineering hundred grain broadheads. But I like what my what works best out of my bow is it's something in that range. That doesn't mean it's right for everybody, but I like to shoot accurate at at, at longer ranges. Um, I practice a lot at 40 yards because I feel like it's close enough to where I can, can, you know, can build, can shoot good groups and build confidence, which is super important. It's such a fickle thing. Confidence can come and go. And it's far enough for me to be able to tell if my setup is tuned properly and broadheads are, are dialed in. And I'm not going to, you know, if I drop out the bottom or 
pull off a little bit of a shot, it's not going to be six or eight inches out, which might, you know, cause me to, to be a little bummed out and, and uh, not really get a, a good indication of how, how the bow's set up, you know. Um, but then I'll practice a lot of 60 and 80 as well, so that when I do shoot a, you know, a 40 or 50 yard shot, that 60 yard shot, it's, it's, it's doable and I know my bow's set up perfectly for it. Yeah, definitely. What broadhead? What what do you like best? Uh, what broadheads? And not not necessarily just what you shoot, but also maybe what you recommend. Yeah, well, I get this question: you shoot expandables or fixed? And I'm like, yeah. So I mean, I'm old school, right? So been doing it for a long time. Had a lot of good experiences with three blade inch and three sixteenths. You know, back when from Rocky Mountains to you know even before that, you know, Savoras and whatever. But uh, you know, uh, Thunderheads, of course, was a staple for years. That inch and three sixteenths three blade seems to be, you know, like a, a really good all around uh, diameter for good blood flow. Uh, I shoot a Grim Reaper Pro Series heads. They make really good heads. 440 stainless, U.S. made uh, broadheads, high quality, spin good, strong top, blade retention is excellent. So I shoot that into, um, like I shot an elk this year, nice one in New Mexico, a moose. Big boar, which, you know, we have California in the spring. Instead of hunting turkeys, I'm usually spotting and stalking big pigs. And in California, they're not as much of a nuisance as they are in Texas. You know, just corner the road or sit in a feeder and stuff like So a lot of people don't have respect for pigs. But out here, it's, you shoot a big boar that's over 200 pounds, that's five years old, and has lived that long with a nice tusk. And he's a formidable adversary, and they get a little wiry and tough to, you know, to get on. I mean, their senses aren't as good as the deer, of course, but... They're also built pretty much tougher than anything else with their shields around their shoulders. So you've got to have a good solid arrow and a good penetrating sharp broadhead. And, and their kill area is, is forward kind of low. So you've got to hit them good or, or you won't recover them. So a quarter away shot, forward, third, lower third with a right arrow, you'll kill them. And it's a good test, you know, for your, for your setup. But, um, yeah, I like that. I uh, like an inch and three sixteenths and, and the, the heads now with just a little short, shorter uh, blades, the profile, uh, you know, they do a lot of testing, engineering, whatever they do, aerodynamics to make them fly better at higher speeds than we used to have. That's one of my favorites. Um, and then I use an inch and three-eighths mechanical. Uh, I've shot, like, say, for deer. If I'm hunting antelope, shoot caribou, things like that that are softer, I'll be shooting an inch and three-eighths, three-blade, you know, Grim Reaper mechanical, which it's not super huge cut. But it's round, and the blades are angled back, so they seem to you know penetrate really well. And it's got a long point on the Pro Series, and I've had excellent uh, um, ex- results with that. In fact, this year I was hunting with uh, one of our uh, one of our buddies, Alex Nestor, who in Eastern Colorado was a really good mule deer guide, and he had a lot of good things to say about you. He actually made me feel inferior, but I sh- <laughs> because of you. But uh, yeah, I'll tell you that story. But I shot a nice buck at long range in a snowstorm and, and hit him, you know, it's a high lung shot and thing went, died in sight, which was pretty cool. But yeah, I was crawling around with Alex and there's a big buck rutting and he's a 31 year old, you know, elite athlete, six, four football player, hyper, you know, super aggressive when he gets, you know, on a big buck. And, uh, you know, I'm, I've been doing this for a long time and I've learned to calm down a little bit and probably had to because of, you know, just, you know, get worn down in the years and, I can still go, but I don't go as fast as I used to. <laughs> We're crawling on, and this freaking tumbleweed field for, I don't know, it seemed like a mile, but it was probably 300 yards. And there's a big buck in there rutting a doe, and he's not paying much attention. We just kind of 
going around circles chasing her and we're trying to get on him and he's going 100 miles an hour and all I can see is his his Wrangler jeans and his you know his ginger hair popping up and down here and there and he's like draw back draw back they're coming to drive I can't I haven't seen the haven't seen the deer yeah he <laughs> right he's like draw back draw back and, I, and I'm looking like you know 40 yards where I can see and I can't see anything he's like draw get your bow back get your bow back and I'm like trying to find the deer and I have this you know the shooting thing that I go through especially with the release and I'm not left-handed I'm shooting left-handed and I'm not left eye dominant, but I'm shooting you know, with my left eye, and I've, I've got a system down that works okay, but it's a lot more methodical than it used to be. When I was shooting fingers with with no peep and everything else with a wheel bow, but um, so he's telling me to draw back. The deer hits this opening at like 62 yards for two seconds, and, and I start to draw, and he's gone chasing the doe. Right, so he's like, we get back in the truck. He's like, damn, I told you to draw him, you know, and I'm like. Well, you know, I didn't really see the deer. I, I need to have, you know, some kind of idea what it is and get, I have, you know, have the system. I go through whatever it might be a little slower than you're used to. And he's like, yeah, I'm just used to Snyder. He goes, he would have drawn back and he gets two or three seconds in an opening, that thing's dead. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so like, so, so the, the myth, the legend of Aaron Snyder grows even more. So, okay. Yeah. So he, uh, yeah, he's used to, and he was, he's kind of bummed that you're shooting the recurve because he's like, like sticking out there for mule deer. He's telling me about the antelope he shot long range and says he's automatic. So he, yeah, he does not like the recurve. In fact, the last time we, we got the 60 from probably a, a high eighties, uh, antelope and he's like, kill it. And I'm like, dude, I got to get to 40. And he's like, what? And I'm like, <laughs> man, I got to get to 40. And he was like, fuck that piece of shit. I mean, he made an Insta story about it and everything. <laughs> It's like, dude, I'm sorry. It's like, I got, I got to get closer now. Well, that's how guides are, you know. Like, can you just think about this, Aaron? You've got it in the people. I mean, I mean, obviously, you're all in on the on the bow thing and, and, the, and the the struggle and the and the, and the and the reward of it, right? So that's what we're all about at this point. You know, it's not about killing the animal; it's how you do it and have respect for them and and actually doing it a certain way. But if you're a guide and and you're getting paid and you know you have you've been away from your family or whatever and, and you show somebody first afternoon. You know, a nice animal at you know a reasonable range, and then you're like the, the bow hunting guy is like, I want to get in closer, and then he ends up blowing the stock, and you got to try for another you know week to get another shot. He would have been home already with his family, or, or at least back to the camp. You know? Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, obviously with Alex, we're buddies, so he did whatever. We live beside each other, but he uh, he's fun. Yeah, the antelope deal was. I mean, it, for me, it was funny because you know he we hadn't hunted together a bunch. We were just friends, and then the antelope got to like a certain distance and i said hey when it gets to this distance tell me i'm gonna kill it and he looked at me and chuckled and i said i'm I'm not kidding when he gets there i'm gonna put it on the ground and uh yeah from then on obviously he had pretty high expectations from of me with the bow in my hand because that's I, when you were shooting the compound with a compound yeah and yeah uh, yeah i think we at one point in time we got on the road and he had asked how far you know, I could shoot. And I said, well, I, I've got a 140 mark. Um, but you know, that, I mean, I mean, I can, you know, keep it in on good days in a paper plate, but bad days, you know, there's going to be dust flying around. That's like, dude, it's, it's really hard to shoot that far consistently and not, not just, you know, the human may be able to do it and maybe the gear, you know, if, if, if everything's not perfect as far as spinning your arrows and, and, the wind and, and, everything. and, and there's the and people are like, well, how far are you good out to? It's like, well, if I make a good shot, I can shoot, you know, fairly <laughs> yeah. long range, but if I make a bad shot, I can miss him at 20, right? I've hit him at 80 and I've, you know, perfectly and I've missed him at 20, you know, when I should have nailed him. So it's a matter of, you know, 
fine line between that confidence, preparation. I prepare way more than I used to when I was younger. I was a lot more, less detailed on my equipment, uh, maybe putting in reps. I didn't have to worry about fitness near as much, you know, when you're 20, 30, 40. Uh, now I've got to, you know, make sure that I'm, I'm fit. I'm just surfing and playing tennis is pretty good, but man, the tennis after 45, 50 years of pounding around on, you know, the concrete courts is a little rough on the joints and, you know, had a few little injuries from that. But, um, yeah, now it's like, oh man, I got to actually start throwing weights around if I'm not going to be surfing all the time because the water's too cold or it's too windy or the waves aren't big enough or whatever excuse that I'm finding not to go out when I used to just charge <laughs> every day in whatever conditions it was just because I was into it and loved it. And, you know, you're, you're paddling around for two hours in the ocean. It's a really, really good experience, you know, really good exercise for a lot of different shoulder muscles that you use for archery, chest, whatever core. And you're, you're immersed in, Basically, you know, in the outdoors, you know, you're trying to get a wave. It's so free range, you know, in the ocean, judging the swell direction, the angle, the size, the tides, the wind, the people. It's, uh, it's pretty, it's a pretty cool deal. So a lot of, there's a lot of really good surfers that are actually into bow hunting too. Yeah. Like he, Hawaii, there's little, Mark Healy, I bow hunted with, with yeah, Healy. Healy, yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a freaking, he's a freak. He's a really, you know, full on big wave, crazy man. Uh, really good dude. We um, he set up his bow and got it dialed in and sent it back to him. A lot of the guys from Hawaii have been sending their stuff to our shop because we're known to have really good technical knowledge and um, and all the best equipment and making sure we get it dialed in. Uh, Shane Dorian's another good friend of mine. Akua Rothman, Matt Miola, all those guys are really good surfers and have an excellent resource right there where they can actually you know, hunt year-round, basically, for either axis deer, pigs, goats, sheep, you know, all kinds of things. And they're diving, you know, they're, they're all about the outdoors. But they are lacking you know, a lot of technical, you know, there's a few shops over there, they're, they're decent, but, you know, a lot of the pro shops, you know, are, aren't up on the latest, you know, technical skills that they should be, maybe, with the new equipment. The new equipment's gotten a little more sophisticated, but to really get the most out of it, if you don't have it dialed in, Cam's time, the right rest, arrows, you know, loop, all those things, you know, right, you're not going to get the most out of them. And so that's one of the things that's helped our store excel. Oh, I, I, I bet. Good, good pro shops when you get one, uh, kiss their butt and give them tips because believe me, you're not going to find, they're not everywhere. And I'm not, not saying all pro shops are bad, but there's certainly some pro shops that are far and above of, of others. And, and, uh, yeah, Healy was in Alberta, uh, when we were hunting mule deer up there. And I think, that year I shot one super, super close. And I mean, the dude's just an amazing guy. He's just super cool. I don't, I felt bad. I didn't know who Mark Healy was. And they're like, oh, he's a <laughs> surfer and he, he free dives. And I'm like, huh. And then I saw him. He's, he's not, an athlete. He's a stud. Yeah. I, yeah. I saw him and I was like, the dude looks like he could run about 20 miles right now. Um, you know, he fit dude, but the, just his, his personality and mentality towards life was pretty cool. I mean, he's just chill. Like he does, you know, as far as, uh, you know, like a sponge, he'd ask questions and sit there and listen. And I mean, it was super cool. Yeah. A lot of those guys are, are real humble when it comes to another sport, but it's amazing how good they are. Like him, he can hold his breath for, I think, four or five minutes. And when you're, you're surfing those 30, 40 foot waves, surfing big waves is, is hard enough. But what I've found, you know, I've, I've never surfed anything like they do, but, I've, you know, double overhead in Indonesia and stuff like that. Like, but 
surf in big waves, a lot of times, you know, you have the energy to get in early and stand up and you're, you know, you're dropping in. It, it's doable, you know, for a guy that's even that's not used to surfing real big stuff, like we see in California here, we don't get giant waves very often. But it's dealing with the water that you, when you're paddling back out or getting, getting pounded inside by a set, you're holding your breath, you're paddling as fast as you can, you're coming up, you're getting pounded again, you're holding your breath. So the fact, and you're not getting good wind when you're actually, you know, laying on a surfboard like you are when you're standing up, you're already compressed slightly. It's, it's a, it's a really physically demanding sport and, and it uh, builds character and sometimes you get smashed and driven into the bottom, you get up and it's just like, whoa, that felt good. But, uh, you gotta have that feeling instead of, oh, I'm scared I'm gonna get out of the water because I almost drowned. Then it's not for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, you gotta be a little crazy, huh? I would say I'm sure I have uh, never actually tried surfing, so I have no idea. Uh, I mean, I don't, water doesn't bother me at all, but just, I mean, I, I've never been in, I mean, I lived in Oregon when I was a kid, but that wasn't an option when I was oh, young, so. Too cold up there. <laughs> yeah. I I think, though, yeah. you know, the mentality for bow hunting, um, I talk about this sometimes in, different like seminars I'll give is once you kind of get to that point, there's like no mountain too high and not necessarily just fitness alone, but a lot of times guys won't go on stocks because let's say the mule deer's uh, in a super aggressive area and are really a pain in the butt physically to get to and it could move. Uh, there's a level of common sense when to go and, you know, there's some stocks that just aren't doable. But I think that in a lot of ways hurts a lot of bow hunters is, is fear uh, fitness and fear. And I'm not, I don't want to chalk too much into fitness because it's good to be in shape, but you know, animal behavior and everything's important. But a lot of times I see people just not go on stocks or go after animals, whether it's their, their bushcraft or field craft, where they're just worried to be away from camp that far or the exertion they'll put in and the animal might move. And so it's not worth it for them to try. I think once you get over those things and they have the common sense or, or the experience to say yay or nay, it, it certainly puts you at a different level. I don't, I mean, how do you feel about that? Do you think what I said is BS or do you agree? Well, you know, I think, I mean, that's a huge thing. I mean, I've never felt like I was the stealthiest you know, guy or maybe the best shot, but I was always very determined and perseverance is, is, is really probably one of my stronger points. It's something that I'm passionate about. If I'm not passionate or don't want it that much, I'm not probably going to, you know, put a lot of effort or work that hard. But I've always really enjoyed, well, I need a lot of opportunities. Let's put it that way with a bow. And, and a lot of times I've learned from, from busting your butt, going over that hill, the next side, where somebody normally is not going to put the effort in, that's where the bigger animals live. And they're probably going to be less jumpy because they aren't getting as much pressure. And the more opportunities you get by going further, staying out longer, getting up earlier, uh, maybe, you know, you can talk yourself out of the situation. And I've done this in the past a little bit where maybe you're a little lazy or something and you're like, eh, if I go over there, it's probably going to spook them anyway. And maybe they'll be there tomorrow and you know, all that stuff. I say, I think, you know, you have to be extreme. The more opportunities you get and the, and the harder you work and the smarter you work and, and, the, and the more you learn animal behavior, like you know, being able to actually forecast what you think they're going to do. Okay, I see something feeding in a certain direction. I'm going to get a pattern on what I think they're going to do and or based on maybe something else if you've scouted that area before or a similar situation. You're going to get more opportunities. The more opportunities you get, obviously, the more successful you're going to be. But I've seen, you know, being aggressive, but smartly aggressive, where you 
work hard, get to a spot, and then get in as close as you can where you know you're not going to spook them and then wait for something good to happen. Or usually that's when I've, I've been had my most success. And sometimes you get too aggressive. If you're hunting really big trophy animals, you end up spooking them. It seems like the bigger animals don't put up with as much stuff. So once I, I used to get a lot of opportunities, and I was really aggressive when I was younger because I wanted it real bad, and then I've spooked a lot of the really big stuff, and I ended up shooting average things, animals that maybe weren't as, you know, switched on. But once I learned how to use the combination of covering a lot of terrain, closing the distance really fast so you keep them in sight, uh, get to a point where you know the tolerance is enough to where you're not going to necessarily spook them, and, uh, and maybe they'll walk into you or get into a better position where they're, they can't see you, and you can close the distance and, and, and come over the top on them or... You know, whatever it is. In fact, Randy Almer said a good thing that really stuck with me, and because he's obviously killed more big mule deer than than anybody, uh, besides maybe blue tongue or whatever, but mountain lions. But he uh, he said you can get you can get close to bedded mule deer, big mule deer, and you can do it a lot, but you won't kill very many of them because it's just just when you get close and they're going to come up and they see you and they have a defense zone that it seems like, you know, if you're inside of that, they're, they're going to react pretty quick and get the heck out of Dodge. I, I took that to heart a lot and, and I've learned how to expand my, maybe my effective shooting range and get to a, into that range where I feel like I'm good. But, you know, if you sit it at 40 or 50 yards and the deer stands up and shakes and does this thing, looks around, doesn't see anything in, in his immediate defense zone, and he starts feeding, you get a good angle, you take your time, make a good shot, you're going to be way more successful on big deer than if you get 15 or 20 yards and, and are trying to throw a rock or do a varmint call or, you know, when they do stand up, you don't, you, you, you don't have any cover and they see you and they haul ass. I would that, concur. That kind of with it sucks yeah. with the stick, uh, being that close. Yeah. There's a lot of opportunities that I about cry over because when, if you're sub 20, no matter what camo you have on, you know, they live there. If you, you know, if you stick a deer in your living room, right, you're probably going to notice it no matter what noise it makes to get you off the couch. Well, you stick a fat Snyder on the side of a mountain, they're probably going to pick him out too. <laughs> so it, uh, it, uh, you definitely, it is, you, that's one of the coolest things about bow hunting is, is, uh, like you going left-handed or, or me shooting a stick. I mean, there is always another level you can go to and and there's sometimes I want to snap that bow in half over my knee just because there's opportunities that you know I do look at it sometimes and I say I probably could have killed that with a compound that that does suck but I don't get the same reward it's really what you're, you're it's, a, it's an evol you're evolving basically as a hunter by making it tougher the reason you started with a compound is because you killed stuff with a rifle Probably, and then you start getting to where you're automatic at long range with a, with a compound bow, and then you want another challenge, and then yeah. So I think that's just an evolution of the, of the fact that how you, how you're wired that you, you want it hard, and, and the reward, like you're saying, is so much so much. You don't have to shoot you know a Boone and Crockett animal with your, with your bow to have a really good you know uh, accomplishment for yourself. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, I, that's one of the best things I. You know, one of the things I like most about archery is the, the accomplishment. And, you know, even, even guys shooting stuff out to, to 80, which is a, is, is pretty far, but you know, anybody that's getting any inside of 50 to 40 from, from any animals doing pretty good. Yeah. It, it's not overly easy. It's depending on where you're hunting, public land and everything else, you know, sub 40, sub 50 takes a, a certain amount of skill. And then you get closer than that. It's another level and there's going to be some heartbreaks involved in there. Um, 
potential ground tuning of the bow. I've seen that before. I've never been a ground tuner, but I've seen some guys ground tune their bows. There's a lot of frustration <laughs> in it, but when it finally pans out, it is definitely worth it. But what uh, on on as far as just because we're about we're hitting an hour here, um, where can people find you at to follow your adventures as as well as your shop? Well, uh, I guess the Instagram is Bob underscore from F-R-O-M-M-E is my Instagram, and I, I do post the stuff on Facebook. It seems like Facebook's more of my, my old old buddies that I haven't seen in a long time, and Instagram's more of the hep crew like you and all your, your zillions of followers. So I kind of lean more towards that, even though maybe I'm not one of those guys, but I'm, you know, it seems to be easy, and, and that's where I find most of the stuff that I'm interested in. But uh, and then YouTube, uh, I've got a, my young, young guy, Tanner, Tanner Johnson has been doing works for me. He's a really good bow technician and he's excellent at editing this stuff. So he's taken a bunch of the, some of the new stuff that I've done, uh, video, some of the stuff I do now, but not all of it. Um, and then a lot of stuff that Jerry did, you know, we did years ago, the performance bow hunting DVD series. I think we had like 60 hunts. So we're starting to edit a bunch of those. Um, it's, if you go to YouTube, I think it's under Bob Fromm. Like I had, a moose hunt I did in the Yukon, I don't know, it was probably about four or five years ago, we called in a, a nice bull with Dave Marsters with Yukon, Good Game Adventures, and I've hunted up there quite a bit, and Dave was one of the guys I hunted with back in the 90s with Dave Coleman, and when it was McMillan River, and he's still guiding a lot, and we called in a, a really nice bull, and you know, like 25 yards, and came towards us, I waited for him to quarter away, and it was a pretty hard quartering shot because he started going almost straight away because we were on a little tiny peninsula with no cover, and he didn't see a cow, so he was getting a little nervous, but I threaded one right up quartering away, and the thing went all the way from one end to the other, and he jumped into this little pond, which it seems like they try to do. I think a lot of times, like moose and, and caribou instinctively want to get in the water, get away from, like, say, grizzly and wolves, because, you know, when they don't have footing, the predators can't really do much with them, but started swimming across this little pond, and get away from us or danger or whatever and he didn't quite make it across but I guess that thing he, it was pretty clean kill beautiful scenery we passed up a bunch of bulls the Yukon's pretty hard to beat but I think it's gotten like almost 800,000 views or something which is insanity to me um, in less than a year went viral somehow but uh, yeah we're putting some of the stuff on there which is pretty cool and more than anything you know sharing and remembering the experiences that we have and sharing them with other people and giving them hope that they're, you know, dreams that they can do as well, um, you know, is, is, is kind of powerful and rewarding. And that's one of the things I love about my store. I still, I've been doing this for a long time, and I really, really enjoy people, especially the right ones. Retail can sometimes wear on you, but I've learned how to really, you know, understand it and deal with some of the ones that are that are difficult. And, you know, we put a, a good service and product out there, so for the most part, we don't, we don't have too much negative. But uh, to be able to... Get people that that are like-minded, that that love the outdoors, that want to actually experience hunting with a bow and have a chance of being successful. We have a recipe, and uh, and then give them the opportunities if they get to a certain point and they want to go to good places. It's usually network pretty good, which when we get done, I want to talk to you about some of your cool hunts, which you know all those things make it you know interesting to me because you know I don't know everything in every outfit or in every place, so I like talking to guys like you that have spent 200 nights in the woods and that's probably why your your wife still likes you i i've been through four actually so not all of them oh uh, really did like me only yeah, four only four uh, <laughs> it, it's it's they liked you for a while now there was something about that rugged handsomeness that wore off it's like 
all those interesting traits turn into annoying habits. You notice how that changes after a certain amount of time. That's no shit. That is solid advice above and beyond bow hunting. Um, when that does not last forever. So you got to make sure you've got a special bond, almost like a hunting partner or they will get tired of your shit and vice versa. Um, in my case, I hunted too much, so it uh, it definitely wore Yeah, off. I burned through I burned through a lot of girlfriends. You know, I, I had really nice. I I always dated nice girls and were great. And but yeah, I wasn't ready to be a husband, and I wouldn't have been a very good one at all. Even though I fell in love with a couple of girls early in my twenties and thirties, but um, yeah, it took me until my forties to kind of get get my stuff together. Act as well, it's not totally together yet, but run out of time. But um, yeah, to where I was actually found a, a gal that could kind of mesh with with my my lifestyle which is pretty full speed hunting fishing surfing tennis working and uh and then spending time with her too so i got a really good gal now that you know people can't believe that i've, you know, I've been married only in april uh 19 years been with her for 21 so knowing me when i was younger and you know, was dating you know really nice gals but usually you know six months to two years was kind of the max Yep. I got away unscathed. Didn't <laughs> end up having any children that you know you that you, you know, wish you could spend more time with, or having to see somebody that you broke up with that you wish you didn't have to, and didn't really have very much worldly possessions to split in half like a lot of guys have. But um, uh, no, you, things are good now. You're throwing salt in the wound on me. I broke up with my girlfriend when I started the podcast stuff, and she filed for common law divorce, and she won, and I did have to pay her. Uh, in Colorado, there is such a thing. So, yeah, it would. That was a rough one, but well, uh, whatever. Well, that's probably because you had too much net worth. You know, you're like one of those rock star guys or something. Dude, you know, she you was throwing shit. some shit on the wall that I couldn't believe. Like, I, I mean, she actually got her lawyer to do like whatever pro bono because she sold me as this big fish. But then when you go through divorce, all your income comes out, and it's like, yeah, I got a lot of followers. That doesn't mean I have a lot of dollars. And you could see he was just let down like, this is just a dude that lives in the woods a lot that people follow. Like, he's not, you know what I mean? I was like, oh, it was a, it was a rough one. But I think that, uh, you know, as far as uh, longevity goes, though, I mean, you, how, how old are you now? Uh, about 100 seems like some days and other days. I think I refuse to grow up. I think that's part of the reason. I mean, I'm, I'm actually 60, 63 now, but I, I feel like mentally I'm probably more like 33. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I try to stay, stay in decent shape. I think I, I always looked really young in high school and I don't know. I just got, I think I got blessed that way. But also I think the fact that I've had sports that I'm, that I'm really, you know, like passionate about, like tennis and surfing and hunting that require you to be in, in good shape and probably just vain enough to where I hate when somebody says I'm getting fat, which when I really am, you know, you're fatter than, you're always fatter than, you think you're fatter than you really are compared to most people, but I don't like to compare myself to other people as much as I want to be maybe as good as I can be, like improve my shooting. I'm not going to be John Dudley, you know, or Levi Morgan, but they inspire me uh, to shoot better and, and to see what actually is, potentially out there and same thing with trying to stay in shape and I, I don't really want to think of myself as being old you got to be smarter about your body you know I mean I used I had a buddy my age like he said yeah you know I was younger I used to really feel good when I worked out he goes now it feels really good when I don't so I kind of remember <laughs> that one but when I do do something really hard I used to be able to do you know all day do whatever and day after day after day now it's like I call it recovery time when I'm sitting on the couch and drinking a beer with my chihuahuas and 
watching an outdoor channel or something or, or a tennis show. I call it recovery where I'm not working out, but you got to do a certain amount to do what you love. And, you know, and I can't eat too many chimichangas and drink a lot of beer and expect to go out and, you know, perform at the sports that you really love doing. And, and you want to continue to do them and not just be sitting on the couch and saying you're old because you got a certain amount of age on you. And, yeah, I don't know. You're giving me hope because I'm 43, and if I've got 20 good years left in me and what I'm doing, I'll be pretty happy. Um, 20? Well, I, Jerry's 17 years older than me, you know, so I always kind of gauge, <laughs> you know, a little bit. Well, I am, and he's a, he's a crusty old turd, and he's still going. He's 80 now, and so I always ask him, how many pounds are you shooting this year, Jerry, you know, to see how, how you know, because trying to figure it out and he's shooting he was shooting 60 65 forever now he's down to 50 but he killed a killed a deer at like 45 yards this year you know um and he lives in oregon there and and uh you know shot right through it and he kills an elk, elk every other year or something and playing golf and staying active you know he's a funny dude gotta be a little he's a character right? we've had so many good laughs and uh you know he worked at psu forever i still remember like when video was brand new you know with vhs stuff him and shepley he had that over-the-shoulder shot of Shepley shooting a five-point bull, and that was kind of like the first hunting video ever. I think it was in the probably early mid-'80s, and he was the one that videoed it. And, you know, he was, he's been around for a long time. We've had some good times together. He's good with the camera, but he's also a really good hunter, good guy. You know, when you're spending a lot of time in hunting camps and adverse conditions, and you know, you learn a lot about people and you got to be compatible or you're not going to, you know, have a good time. Number one, or you're not going to get a good result. I mean, we filmed a lot of hunts and had pretty high success. And, you know, I think I've got, I don't know, 20 out of the 28 that I've, 29 that I've killed, I think I've got like 24 or 25 of the species on film, which is like even like three times harder probably. Yeah. That camera and, saves a lot of lives. Yeah. That, and I, I've, I don't know. I've just, I think like you're saying, like you've gone to, you know, shooting the, 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 the recurve, the trad stuff, which I can do. I mean, I can shoot okay out to 30 yards because I shot fingers and everything. But um, I'm kind of, I don't know, I just kind of morphed into this not, I don't really like to just kill stuff. It's like, I'm. it's more about how I do it. And then the quality of the animal has changed a lot of what I'm, you know, feel good about hunting. So now I'm more into this, like, 190 plus mule deer and 350 plus bull elk thing and i've always you know wanted to shoot you know bigger stuff and that's that adds another dimension of difficulty and reward uh and and then for you know for business reasons and the fact that when i do finally get a shot at something if it's i shoot most of my stuff with my first two pins 20 30 yards but also i want to reach out there like if i'm hunting caribou or something like that or maybe a mule deer uh, where it's open country and they're softer animals, then I might shoot, you know, 60 or 80 yards. I've shot a lot of caribou over 70 because that's, if you don't shoot at them, that's the only shot you're going to get and you're not going to see them again. And it's a good one. That's what you got to do. It's a pretty big target and they're not going to run into the brush and hide, you know, so you can normally follow them up and if you need to put a second shot into them, which hopefully you don't, but sometimes that's reality, you know. Yeah, I speaking of caribou, which other people have heard this story, but I shot one at a very long distance away with Clay. So far, I didn't want anybody to know. So the, the guy that was with me is my buddy, Ryan Harder. We got back, and he's telling the story. And I'm like, look, Clay, don't tell anyone that. Man, I got to the mm-hmm. sheep show. I don't know there was anybody he didn't tell. Like, I'm like, Clay. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> he's like, dude, it's awesome. And I'm like... To some people, yeah. to yeah. some it's people not. Don't even, yeah, 
if, you, if, it, if it's going to, you can tell people all day long, don't say this, or you say something about somebody, you know, it's always going to get back to them. So I've learned, like, I'm not a very good liar, so I learned not to lie because a handful of times I did a long time ago, which, you know, I won't admit to too many of them. Um, seems like I always got caught, and, and it's embarrassing. And I think mean, one of the things my dad really taught me, besides taking me out in the woods and hunting and everything, was it was really important to have good integrity and how you treat people and also, you know, just what you do. You know, it's just like hunting ethics, you know. I mean, everybody's done maybe a few things they weren't proud of when they were younger, but at the end of the day, you, you know, you've got to have integrity because you're not going to be successful at anything or have, you know, good relationships with people that are important. So, I mean, I try to do that even though naturally my mom was a little bit more of a aggressive, selfish type person, even though I loved her like crazy. She gave me a little more of the shrewd business part of it, but I tried to be a little more like my dad who gave away everything but worked really hard, uh, but he was good with people. Yeah. So trying to get the right blend, trying to get the right blend, you know, and, 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 and do the right thing. Most people know right from wrong, and sometimes they choose the wrong, wrong things, and it seems like when you're younger, you do a lot more dumb shit stuff, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I really just didn't want to get blasted on the internet, so it's totally selfish, so I'm like, can we just like make a distance up? Because I would have taken the shot again. I just truly was like, there's not going to be a well, good outcome. Well, you're, you're a pro shooter, so like a shot for you, say it, you know, it's probably over 100 yards, right? But you can you can stack them at 100 yards, and if you're, even like when you're longer shots, a lot of times you're more relaxed because you have you know you got to go through the shot process, and you're you're not worried about the animal moving, but you got to make sure you can focus on the shot to make it. And sometimes up close, you know, you get you're in a hurry because you're afraid they're going to squirt out of there and you dump the shot when you think it's too easy and you make a bad shot. But yeah, I mean, it's all relative. A lot of guys will throw stones at you in the same thing. I've been in the same situation. I don't like to say like, yeah, hey, I shot, shot a mule dirt 80 yards, you know, this year in the snow, took my quiver off, wind gusting 20, 25 miles an hour, pin settled down. I pulled through the shot after you know, a week with Alex and hit him, hit him in the lungs and the thing ran hundred yards and died. But I, I don't pull back and shoot if I don't think I can make the shot. If I don't think I can make the shot because the angle's wrong or it's moving or it's in the trees or it's too far, I'm not going to draw. Or if I don't have a good distance on it, I'm not going to do it. But, you know, um, guys that don't put time in, don't learn how to shoot, don't have their equipment dialed in, haven't got experience, they shouldn't be shooting further than they're, than they're actually comfortable and that they know that they can make a good kill shot, you know. And for you, it's a lot further than most, including, you know, 99% of the people out there, you know, that are, if, but if you're a pro shooter, like, yeah. It's not anymore. It's limited. <laughs> it's very limited yeah. Well, now. Was, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's self-imposed. It wouldn't be if you went back to the compound and want to put time in. Like, I heard there was a rumor that you wanted to do that. Now I got all excited that you were, Oh, I'm getting compound. I'm getting pestered John? a lot by that. Yeah, is that John that, that threw that out there? Said something. Oh, that that to compound? Yeah, that the email <laughs> box filled up quickly. Um, I'm going down to hang out with him and the Black Rifle guys down in Austin here in a week or two. But um, yeah. Yeah, I that's a good crew. We had him out at our store a year and a half ago. Dudley's a pretty amazing guy, and his wife Sharon, son Harry. They came out and Evan with uh, Black Rifle and. All those guys are really good dudes, and they've been good for the sport, you know, for sure. And, you know, the, the impact that these podcasts have had has been, you know, kind of impressive. Like, Rogan has done so much for our sport. It's been great. And he's he's a good dude. He's come down to the store and mentioned It's amazing. Like, they mentioned the store, like him and, and Cameron or, or, or Dudley, and, and, and I've had people drive eight hours to come to my store because they heard it on a podcast. I'm like... Wow, it's crazy. You know, they'll listen to a couple knuckleheads talk for an hour and a half. My first DVD, I've got 22 kills in 55 minutes because 
back then, all people wanted to see was the kill shot. So I was like, okay, if we have, it's too boring. They just fast forward it to the kill and then rewind it and, re, you know, fast. So I was like, I'm not going to put too much story to it and just, you know, put a lot of, you know, a little bit and then get to the kill shot. You know, like they just wanted to get to the money shot, no foreplay. But now people are more into the story and the information and personalities. And I think it's pretty cool. Actually, it's a lot easier than trying to put 22 hunts into a DVD and have them, you know, quality animals and good hunts. It's, it's been nice. You can, you know, get a little more of the whole feel of reason why we really actually hunt, not just for the kill. For the kill you know? Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned that. I just had a post. The guy was... Uh, the guy was mad most of, you know, talking about the podcast, most of the, you know, latest podcasts are on the trad bow and talking with industry buddies. And the, obviously this guy didn't la- like that. Uh, he wanted to more I'm on like backpack hunting and, and things like that. And, you know, you kind of with the podcast, which I, I mean, I don't, you know, I always like, you know, it's good to hear constructive criticism, but, you know, it's the dead of winter. There's not a lot of backpack hunting going on for me right now. Um you know, so you kind of like the ebb and flow, right? Like for now, you usually talk about what failed, um, how to tune. Like I do a lot of tuning stuff. Just try to make everyone's lives simpler, including yours and mine. But I think I made yours more difficult at the shop. But just try to get some <laughs> info out there. And then, uh, you know, when the spring kicks out and the backpack hunting gets, you know, turned on. And the one thing I encourage people, whether you're listening to me or Rogan or whoever, it is free, Right, like you. <laughs> they don't have to. It's an option. They don't have to listen to you. Yeah, and that's what, pretty sensitive about criticism. I mean, that's probably why you know maybe you burned through four wives because you're such a sensitive guy. You yeah, exactly. Look, you look like a tough hard ass. You know, <laughs> I'm super sensitive. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, dude, I gotta. Yeah, I tell you what, you gotta have thick skin when you have a podcast. But I, I, I think what people don't realize is you can just email us and tell us what you want to hear about, and then we talk about it. Like ours are based off of what people are bugging us about. Which is kind of the cool thing on a podcast, you, you know, on, on talk radio or whatever, it's not as personable because there wasn't as much of the social media where about half the planet has my phone number. You know, you can just call, which is one of the super cool things is, hey, you know, you can get a hold of a guy, send him a message. And, and you know, quite honestly, we'll probably talk about it. Like if you and I do another podcast, I'd like to do one on tuning and talk about tricks yeah, of the trade sure. you've learned. Because I know I know tuning for me, but you're setting up hundreds of different bows with different draw lengths, different shit that you've ran into that I haven't because I'm one size. It's easy for me. And I bet you've run into just about every crisis known to man when it comes to tuning that many bows going out of your uh, door. I'm like an ER doctor. In fact, it's funny because the young guys, when they have some bow come in that they've never seen. And one of the cool things, I mean, I started – you know, at basically late seventies, I've, I've been around since modern compound bows have been built pretty much. Um, so I've seen the whole gamut of, you know, pretty much all modern compound bows. And I had a trad bow when I was in high school and they didn't even have real bows, you know? So, you know, I've seen, a, you know, I've been working professionally since 81 and own my own stores since 83. So, you know, full time, full, you know, archery but a lot of the guys will come up to me and they call me archery google or whatever hey what about this bow how do we adjust this draw length and da, da, da. And a lot of times i'll i'll remember string lengths from some of the bows from 25 or 30 years ago that i used to sell or shoot and freaks them out it's pretty funny but um yeah there's there's a lot of different tuning methods obviously that we have got a, a really good formula that works um for a broad spectrum of people where we start you know and, and depending on 
you know, what rest, of course, and what style. And, you know, fingers, of course, is pretty small. But we still sell, you know, we sell, I don't know, 300 recurves a year. Most of them are recreational, but we do have a handful of guys that are serious trad guys for hunting and tuning the arrow to the bow is where the compound is, you know, more tuning, tuning the bow to the arrow and more spine, you know, uh, variants will actually work. And then it's a matter of finding what arrow, you know, going out and, and actually personally seeing which one seems to work the best for you and building, you know, building your confidence so you can shoot good under pressure, which 3D tournaments are bad pressure. We try to get guys to do that, you know, they're shooting with their buddies for a score different than if they're just standing at known distances in their in their tank top in the summer and shooting 50 arrows by themselves uh but yeah lot 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 to go over there um but yeah as far as being you know, enjoyed uh you know looked up to you now that i know you I looked up to you for like a couple of weeks um and <laughs> whatever <laughs> oh that's funny oh I, but uh i'd love to hunt with you someday and i uh, i feel privileged to be on your podcast and you know enjoyed uh, our conversations have been pretty broad for not knowing each other that well uh for a pretty short time so yeah like crazy minds i guess yeah no kidding no, i appreciate you uh uh, getting on, and I definitely, I mean, though you don't know it, I don't know how many team guys I've sent to your shop that, uh, you know, incognito guys or whatever. I'm like, just just go over to performance and see Bob because, uh, you know, you're not that far away. Yeah, we, we have a lot of guys coming in. They're, they're wired like that, too. You're like, and, it, and I like getting the team guys because they, they actually, are, I can tell right away, you know, compared to, you know, like the standard, you know, you know, I mean, there's a lot of sharp guys in the military, and there's a lot of guys that are, in the military, you know, because they're in the military, you know, whatever, but I can tell the team guys part usually pretty quick. Um, you know, like Andy, Andy used to be in San Diego stump and uh, he actually came in and bought the first bow from us and I sold him a bunch of Sitka before he started getting it all for free. Super <laughs> cool dude, but, um, they, um, yeah, they're, it's easier for us to work with those guys because they're, they're already mentally disciplined and have a lot of, um, experience and knowledge on how to shoot weaponry correctly and, and all the different steps it takes to coordinate and, 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 the, and the degree of excellence that they, that they want to acquire and not just put the, you know, the, the pin on the target and rip the release, you know, they're, they, they, they listen and, and they're able to apply it a lot better than, than the average guy. So the team guys are cool to work with and they actually usually have a little better income too. So they're not as limited with, um, the equipment they can usually purchase a little better equipment, which sometimes equates into you know obviously not being limited by it by your, your you know, how much you can spend and not not that you have to spend a ton of money to be good, but it helps sometimes you know yeah yeah definitely does you get what you pay for but uh well cool well man i I appreciate you hopping on and i definitely i'd I'd like to get you on again talk about other adventures and hunting stories and everything else so uh yeah if you're interested let me know when you're not surfing and uh i'm sure i can get a hunt together <laughs> for us that um would be the Owdad hunt is something you should probably come down with me to do next year like that is yeah that's cool yeah it looks like a really cool hunt sounds like you got it wired and and then so much of that depends on obviously having a good area which you have and then having a really good guy that understands archery because it's it's key to be you know knowing the patterns of where they're vulnerable and you can get close to seemingly impossible terrain with a bow you just got to hunt them in the right terrain and then be disciplined enough with your stalking you know, a lot of guys are like how do you spot and stalk an antelope it's something well i don't hunt them where it's flat wide open i might yeah. get them in the foothills you know 
Yep. Try to get them where, they're, where there's a little contour of some sort. And it's amazing what you can do with just a little contour, even when it's really open, even like that Eastern Plains, Colorado, where I've killed my, my biggest mule deer. Looks like it's all it's all farm field and cut wheat that's six inches high, but you can you can you know move yeah, around and get close to some of those deer. Yep, if you can read terrain, you can get it done. And yeah, I mean that's nice with the the Audad deal is Scott and I get along so well. Like I'm going to start helping him more and more and more um, guide just because the bow hunting thing for me is like my you know cup of tea, and I, I really enjoy. I, I honestly, I really like seeing guys shit their pants when an animal is 15 yards from them and they just don't know what to do in, in helping them get it done. It's, it's, it's truly, I don't want to see them screw up, but it truly is a sight to behold when you have one of the animals that's harder to kill, um, at oh, least in the yeah. lower 48, you know, yeah. walking by at 18 yards. My wife literally about shit herself. It was her first spot in stock hunt. And the enjoyment when she got one, of course, she had no idea how lucky she was. Literally, first day we got her one. Wow! But the 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 sense of accomplishment, and just how happy people are when you can when you can make that happen. Of course, it's about one in a hundred when it does happen, and the rest of the time you're picking cactus out of your wiener and your knees. But it is fun. It is an all day deal. So yeah, I mean, I've been so much of I think being a good guide. I've, I've you know I've taken a lot of new guys out on different hunts, like so take hunts primarily, and maybe you know island hunts when we had those. But it's a lot of it's being like almost like a coach, therapist, you know, trying to keep them calm and giving them the confidence that they can make the shot, you know. And, and that's, a, that's a ton of being a good guide. And you understand it when you're an archer, especially at the at the level that you've, you know, been committed with, you know, being a professional shooter and the amount of hunting you've done and understanding people. But, uh, yeah, so I, so you're... Your wife, we'll see how, how tough she is. If she got, you know, got that, uh, that algebra, we'll see if she can hang in there 10 years with you. That'll be maybe even a greater accomplishment. I would, I would agree. I would say so. Man, she is, I can't say enough about her. She's, she has to, you know, like when she sees on YouTube, I got about got eaten by a grizzly and I totally didn't mention that to her. <laughs> and, and she's Italian and she's loud. And I'm, I just have to edit this out, and especially if you get a little liquor in her. Oh my lord, she gets oh, wound. Hey, keep her away. Keep her away from the switchblades. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's funny because my, my my wife, like our first anniversary, it just happened. We I said, okay, we get married in March or April because there's nothing else going on and it's not busy at the store. And so April 29th, we we end up getting married. One year anniversary. I'm on Kodiak Island because May May 1st the hunt came up and it was a cancellation. Jimmy. Brian had the hunt for booked up for off and on for years, and it was a really good place. So I ended up going one year anniversary where I'm on Kodiak. I come back and you know I'm successful. That giant bear, and, you know, shot 18 yards, almost runs over me. So she wanted to see the footage, and she was like, "You crazy son of a bitch! You know, you better get more life insurance, you know." And then, and then recently, like she's like, you know, after 19 years of being together over 21, she's like, "Hey, you know." That brown bear hunt was pretty cool. When when you going on that hunt again? You know. Yeah, <laughs> now, no kidding. Now she's like encouraging me to want to go. <laughs> now that they got equity equity in the house and you know <laughs> life insurance and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that's no shit. Uh, yeah, it's 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 funny because how much um, do we have? Five hundred thousand. I said, I don't, you need to get more than that. I'm like, no, I don't feel I don't sleep that good now with five hundred thousand dollars life insurance. It'll pay the house off and everything else should be fine. <laughs> Well, my, my wife was, she was basically vegan when I met her and her family, a lot of them were anti-hunting, which is totally, you know, changed. So I, my, my wife's telling me as we're flying down the cliffs after this out dad that she told her mom she wouldn't get in the cliffs. And I'm like, 
Well, that shit's already on Instagram. I don't know what to tell you. She's like, what? And I'm like, I videoed the whole thing climbing out. Uh, and so like in the video, I'm like, sorry, Nancy. Um, I didn't mean to take her down here. But she enjoys all of it. She thought it was. And, and she got to see me in my element. Same with on the goat hunt. She was on the, the valley floor and was able to watch that stock in the cliffs. And I'm just happy she's into it because if, if it was like, if, if she wasn't into it, we would not be very, very long because it is... As you can imagine, I'm sure much like you, a house is full of arrows and gear and, and phones ringing off the hook. I mean, she, thank God she likes it. So, yeah, and she likes, she's embraced it. She was raised in New Jersey, which, you know, I thought, oh, I always want her, you know, blue eyed surfer girls my whole life. And I ended up with a Jersey girl, but she's really cool. And, uh, she was, you know, she was raised around, she, her dad never really was an outdoorsman or hunted or super athletic, but really good people. And she had friends, you know, that did. And she shot a bow and had a hunting license when I met her. And, that's how I met her. Actually, came to the store. She was shooting her bow with some friends. But uh, so she she embraces it, and I took her to Africa. And she's got like vision, depth perception issues, so she doesn't shoot a bow really consistently accurate in the same place, even though it forms pretty good. You know, I went to Africa, and she ended up shooting a warthog and hit it less than perfect, and we recovered it. But you know, it was like you know, it's a tough sport if you can't shoot the bow super accurate, but. Yeah, she she loves it, but she's not immersed in it. And she's got her things she likes to do, and, and I can you know do the hunting thing. We do a lot of outdoor stuff together, but you know, the bow hunting it, it, at the commitment level, you know, that you need to do it to be successful long term. It kind of you know it's it's it definitely you got to love it. Yeah, that that is a fact. To be effective, you do so. Well, Bob, I should probably go back to work since I've been on podcast all morning. If you know Brian you have a Martin, job? well, I have a lot of help. Uh, I had you Brian get, you get paid for for doing this kind of stuff. I guess so I, do, I do. That's that's probably why some of those people that hate you hate you, and they probably have you know a little bit of reason, mostly because they're jealous. <laughs> I do. But uh, there's a list. Whatever you've been sure. able, Yeah, you know, so it's like hey, you know, like I, oh, you get sponsors to go hunting. I'm like, yeah, but. Dude, you people do not give away anything unless you earn it. So, if if you're going to you know go on a, a hunt and you take an outfitter, you know five hunters and he has to go to shows and it's hard to book them or they pay a, a booking agent you know ten or fifteen percent. It's worth something to them for you to bring them a good client. You know that saves them, and then you apply that towards your hunt or or the fact like a uh, bow company or accessory or whatever. They're not just giving out free stuff anymore, and it's tighter and tighter every year. You got to do something for them, either by selling a ton of their equipment in your store, like like I do, and I and I only shoot you know the best stuff. I'm not going to you know for a few thousand bucks one way or the other. I'm not going to be sponsored by something that I'm not going to use and push and feel good about my you know customer base using. But you have to do something for them promotion wise, back it up with sales, you know whatever it is. So able to kind of network the whole thing together and have a good life, you know, without making gazillions of dollars. But that is my main goal is to not work construction yeah. again. That is my, my number one goal. My second goal would be to get off of social media and go hide in the woods. So I'm, I'm working at uh, goal two, but goal one is done. So I'm getting there. Yeah. I don't know. I think, you know, you're, you're built for social media. People follow you for whatever reason. I think they, they like the rugged, rugged, uh, honest type. <laughs> you know, you know? sounds like there's no bullshit associated with you, and it gets me in trouble. Doesn't like you, just you, yeah, you just punch them in the face, and they don't like it. You know, you, you know. It's all uh, what did Chris Rowe said? It's if uh, it's built in the cake, it's already it's already it's baked in. So if you don't like me, you already know it's yeah. there. So just don't pay attention. 
Well, a lot of people cover it up, though, and try to be something they're not. So I think that's why people are really kind of drawn to you because you're just the way you are, and, and everybody's got their strengths and weaknesses, and, you know, it's the way it is. Yeah, yeah. I think as uh, long as it's, you know, whatever, if I can keep promoting, you know, bow hunting, it's something I don't want to see go away. And obviously one of the reasons I respect you doing it so long is is if keep promoting it and uh, doing it correctly gets more people in it. And then, uh, you know, obviously hopefully it never gets taken away from us. So I do my best most of the time and occasionally I slip. <laughs> well, I think that's at the end of the day. I mean, that's one of the things I think that, you know, like guys, why are you going to retire? Well, number one, I need, I need to start working more on my retirement. It's like, I didn't realize I was going to live this long or start on my retirement earlier, just put it into my business all the time and, you know, and having a good time and, I'm, you know, I feel pretty good about some of the things I've done, but my, you know, my retirement fund is starting to build up. But it's, I should have started earlier. You know, I just had bad experiences with some guys that put stuff in the stock market and it was more in their best interest than mine. But, um, yeah, I mean, I love, you know, sharing, um, so much of the, what my life is based around is my business and the networking and the hunting and the, and the people and the friends that I have that are associated with, uh, with the industry and my job. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm trying to get to where I can, back off a little bit more and, you know, spend time with my wife and, uh, you know, hunt a little bit more and play tennis and, you know, and surf when I want and not be, come home after, you know, 10 hours at the shop all day long and be tired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, cool, man. I will, uh, I'll definitely stay in touch. I got to hop on another phone call here, but yeah, when you get time, if you want to talk about some of the other hunts or if we can link up one together, by all means, give me a call or shoot me a text. We'll get some stuff figured out. Yeah, and whenever you get a void in there where you can't find anybody more interested, let me know. <laughs> Whatever, man. All right. <laughs> I appreciate All right. coming on, man. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Take it easy.